didn't you win a couple of prestigious awards from Sam Adams, and that's why you decided to open a brewery, right? Um, no, but that'd be a great no, story. No, we get our research from Wikipedia, <laughs> right? <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't even I didn't know we had a Wikipedia page. Uh, no, we uh, so we got our first award year one when we opened the brewery. Rapier named us best new brewery in Wisconsin. And that's really what kind of launched us and got us off the ground. Because, you know, when you start a brewery, we were actually talking about it before the show. You know, hardest part is getting out there and convincing people that it's good liquid. Cheers. You stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. All right, welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast. We are back in the studio here, Solid Nonfield Studios, and we're about to go into our latest episode with Three Sheeps. Sat down with Grant Pauly, had a great time. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun to uh, be able to take a little trip up to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, sit down at what was a, a wonderful little brewery, you know, really get into some of the beers that Grant brews. He, he had some great stuff on tap for us, but uh, unfortunately it was right before the anniversary party, so he didn't have some of the, the really fun beers that we wanted to try so um we decided to bust out our own how about that jim uh tell us about some of these beers yeah we're really excited for uh this these are been aging in jesus's basement for a while uh he's our number one three sheeps fan here so he's got some old school uh uber joe here uh what year is this jesus that's 2016 all right 2016 so all the other ones that i had aging here are from 2016 when they bottled those versions but then we also have the fresh one from yeah, the- uh from the most recent anniversary party so we've got the barrel aged uber joe uh from 2018 that's right. So it's the Imperial Black Wheat Coffee Ale. Of course, you got to have adjuncts, right? Uh, cocoa nibs, coffee vanilla, and maple wood staves. And that uh, was the 2016. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that they've changed up the recipe a little bit as they've kind of done a whole rebranding effort. But Andy, wh- which one are you looking forward to here? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, some of the other ones we have to try too. We also have the 2016 version of Paid Time Off and the 2018 version of Paid Time Off as well. Um, so it'll be interesting uh, to see how they change recipes and uh, see how it came out. I'll tell you, these 2016s, these are some sexy, sexy bottles. I mean, you're talking jet black with uh, gold trim. I mean, they, they put some uh, put some effort into the branding on these guys. Yeah, and then the Midnight Bourbon Barrel Ale of uh, Imperial Black Wheat Ale. Just another treat. Actually, when I sent Grant the picture of this, he forgot about this beer. <laughs> so I told him that we had them all, and uh, so I, I'm looking forward to trying these. I was waiting for this occasion. I think yeah. we just get started. Yeah, here. let's pop it. Yeah, it's really cool when you can make the brewer jet. Starting off with the 2016 version here. Uh, this is when it was still an imperial wheat. It, it You can tell it's aged a bit. Um, it's a higher ABV, but a lot of the adjuncts have fallen off. I don't want to say it's flat, but it's not popping at me at all. Uh, it's still pretty good, but I think it would have been better a little bit fresher. I think the chocolate's definitely still there. All of the coffee's fallen off. Yeah, there's no more coffee left at all. There's not yeah. much vanilla, I think, left. The maple wood staves still lend to the mouthfeel of the beer. It's yeah. got that going for it, but the adjuncts have fallen off. It's still a very good beer, though. It's like what we've said. It's like some of these are an experiment, and this one should not have been aged this long, but... Well, that's why you buy multiple bottles, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what? Uh, but what I think this... it's specifically the style, right? I mean, the style is just different. 
different. It says Uber Joe, but it's not really the same, right? Because the new one is what's that? The stout. Well, it's gone from a uh, a black wheat ale to uh, an imperial stout. So yeah, they they've beefed it up a little bit. Yeah, Andy, what do you think about uh, the new one compared to the old one here? Uh, the new one's coming off great. I mean, this is something I wish I could have gotten a couple bottles of instead of just one. Oh boy. And uh, the coffee's phenomenal on it. The barrel aging is great. And we should say this is a couple weeks, right? Yeah. A couple weeks old. A couple weeks. I, what was it? It's Maybe two, three weeks ago. Yeah. When we record to what I'm recording now. Yeah, the <laughs> nose is great. The coffee is just. It's, like we always say, it's just subtle, but it's there, you know? Oh, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic yeah. yeah, fantastic coffee edition on this. Yeah, they used a great coffee. Yeah, uh, it's both in the bouquet and on the palate. It's not bitter at all, and it doesn't overwhelm the beer. You still get a lot of the, the stout flavor coming through. It's uh, accentuated by the barrel aging. This is definitely one you got to drink fresh because you want to you experience this coffee. Perfect acidity on the coffee uh, compared to the stout. And uh, Andy, you and I, we, we don't drink coffee. We, we drink our coffee and our beer. <laughs> Correct. And uh, this is why we do it, because this is a really good coffee stout. Yeah, it's a great beer. Uh, what do you guys think the, the barrel has done to this? Anything? Well, I was about to say that. I, I asked you guys that because I don't think the barrel, when I taste barrel-aged beers, I mean, it's so intense. And you can really t- taste that, you know, the flavor of the barrel in it. But to me, the coffee is still there. And the base stout is the star of this, you know? I can actually taste wow. more of the barrel in the 2016 than I can in mm-hmm. the 2018. Well, I think the coffee, so in your face, it's probably overwhelming some of those those barrel notes on your palate. It is definitely more subtle. I think that's intentional, though, where this is definitely a coffee beer first, and then barrel aging is that one of subtle undercurrents. It, it's by no means overwhelming. Well, it'll be interesting when we take a break to compare uh, the barrel aging on the Uber Joe to the barrel aging on the paid time off and the 2018 and see, you know, if that one's even a little more pronounced. But I, I think uh, without further ado, let's uh, let Grant tell us about these beers himself. Huh? Let's get right into the episode. Many brewers have grown to love beer, but few have the love of beer in their blood. That could be said about Grant Pauley. He's had a lifetime of great brewery stories that stem from his great-grandparents who purchased the brewery and took it nationwide. Those stories were passed on to his father who walked the floors of that brewery. Those seeds brought fruit many years later when Grant's hobby became a passion. Today we are talking to Grant Pauley who is the founder and brewmaster at Three Sheeps Brewery in Sheboygan. As we record, we are days away from the sixth year anniversary of this award-winning brewery. A lot of great things have happened in those six years they have moved into a beautiful new facility they recently went through a rebranding and have grown what is becoming one of our favorite barrel aging programs grant thank you for taking time in your hectic week to sit down with us oh thanks for coming up to sheboygan before we get started let's put the uh, voices to the names so i am jesus i'm jim i'm grant this is andy and this is alex so as we start let's uh, begin how we usually like to with a little tasting so grant uh, what are you going to start us off with uh, so today we're starting off with some Waterslides IPA. This IPA is actually the only recipe that came with me from the old homebrew days, which makes it kind of even more exciting that it is currently our best seller and has been for the last six years since we opened up. When we opened, I really wanted to make a very kind of floral citrusy but not overly malty IPA. Six years ago, we Wisconsin still wasn't really into that style. So it was a just fun watching people not quite know what to expect from it. And today, by today's standards, you know, it's not the hoppiest I have IPAs either. It's like kind of middle of the road and we're getting getting the opposite. So it's been really fun seeing with this beer just how the trends have changed in Wisconsin and what people are really looking for. Yeah, there's been a growing evolution of IPAs, especially recently with the advent of the New England IPA, the hazy IPA. 
for me, this is, I don't want to call it easy drinking, but it is very balanced IPA. Thank you. you don't find much anymore. Yeah, that's and that's something that's really important for any of our year-round beers. They have to pass what we call a three-pint drinkability test. If you can't have three of them in one sitting without being sick of it or you know, without having one flavor be bigger than another one that you just don't enjoy it through the three pints, it just doesn't fit with what we want to do. We have other you know, seasonals and one-offs that those will hit those metrics, you know, higher alcohol, big flavors in one direction, but... If you're going to pick up a six-pack of three sheeps, you're going to enjoy it for a while. At least that's the goal. It's a very uh, approachable beer. It's great. It's, uh, it has all the complexities that we like in those happy beers, but very approachable. It's a, it's a great beer. You know, it, it's really fun, too, that uh, you brought one from the homebrewing days. Not everybody does. You know, a lot of folks that we, we interview, they say, you know, we ask them, did any of the beers from your homebrew days kind of make the jump? And they're like, nah, you know, those are beers that I, I improved on once upon a time. Mm-hmm. This one, has, has there been any tweaks since the old homebrew days? About a year ago was the first time we did. We updated a little bit. The hops stayed the same. The malt, we took it from 6.2% to 67 dried it out just slightly to allow, you know, alcohol-wise in an IPA, I really do like to hit at least a 6.5% because, you know, alcohol is a sweetness. So I think it balances really well with hops. And by hitting that 6.7, it just matched up more with, uh, I think, what people are enjoying these days and allowed us to update a bit. But that's been the only change. Otherwise, it's still been the Columbus Cascade and Zythos hops that it's been since day one. Oh, the old CTZ. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to those early homebrew days. What got you started? Yeah, I I started homebrewing pretty much right when I turned 21. My wife, a girlfriend at the time, bought me a homebrew kit kind of as a lark. I was just getting into craft beer, enjoying it, but not overly geeky by any means as far as I am today. Made a brown ale. Thankfully, it wasn't <laughs> terrible. And it convinced me to make another one and just kind of kept going along that front. Yeah, you know, went from the the basic starter kits to quickly getting into all grain, quickly getting obsessed. Towards the end, before the brewery was even a an idea, you know, a quarter of our basement was my brewing laboratory. I loved kind of two different things with home brewing. One was just anytime I got to make something new, you know, throwing in an odd ingredient, trying just, I love experimenting with different flavors. The other thing I love doing is making the same beer over and over again, which, you know, on the homebrew scale at five gallons is, it's really difficult. And I realized after a while that, you know, my trying to make this beer in particular, water slides over and over again, pretty much was manufacturing a beer. And it, it kind of started down the path of, well, maybe this would be worth pursuing. Didn't you win a couple of prestigious awards? So we got our first award year one when we opened the brewery. Rape Beer named us best new brewery in Wisconsin. And that's really what kind of launched us and got us off the ground. Because, you know, when you start a brewery, we were actually talking about it before the show, you know, hardest part is getting out there and convincing people that it's good liquid because there's a lot of options. Having that award helped us to not have to sample to every account. It gave us a little more credibility. Once we got that, it just really took off. So tell us about the first space. Yeah, so when we, you know, I was uh, pouring concrete for a family business and I was third generation in that biz and realized that, you know, I didn't like concrete, which was a good revelation. Started to look at what we could do. I knew I wanted to get into beer. And about the same time, unfortunately for the previous owner, a brew pub in our town went out of business. So I got wind that the current, the new owners of the building really just wanted to run the bar and they were going to sell the equipment out of state. Contacted them that afternoon, went in, checked out the property. That evening we had a handshake agreement for us to buy the stainless and all the equipment and just rent space. So you know, then we kind of got to go back and go through all the logistical things. But it was a pretty unbelievably quick arrangement that just got us off the road. You're taking over uh, a brew pub that failed. Is there any trepidation to say, well, maybe Sheboygan's not ready for packaging brewery yet? My wife lovingly calls me optimistically ignorant to the point where, no, there wasn't. You know, I knew looking at beer in Wisconsin, it was growing 
at a great pace at that point. I just I just saw so much opportunity. And the beer that we were trying to make was different than what had been at that spot. And I knew I wanted to go packaging instead of brew pub. So really, you know, they were just our first customer. But that first batch of beer went all over really Sheboygan County down through Milwaukee. I just had faith that it would it would work. So, so how was that first setup? Because you said there was some confusion. It's not really it wasn't your brew pub, right? It was a you were right. a, a yeah, part there, of a uh, it was there was definitely a lot of confusion from it. So the building was kind of a co-op is the best way to think about it. Uh, we ran the brewing side and just rented space in the building. So we were a separate company. Bar were the landlords. They had the building as well. And then the food in the bar was a third company. <laughs> so it made it even more confusing. But it worked really well because we all just got to focus on what we were passionate about and loved. And you know, after brewing and packaging for 12 hours... At that point, the idea of going and tending bar for a few hours really wasn't that appealing. Sure. Uh, so it really just it let us just do this, and I think it also allowed us to get off the ground faster because all we were doing was making beer and getting out there and trying to find new partners and accounts to work with to you know, see what people think and kind of keep growing on that front. So I'm really glad we got to do that route first because it just it kept us singularly focused on making great beer. You know, we didn't get distracted by anything else. It was just all about the kegs. So did you totally pull out of that space, or did we did. Yep, we are out as of about a year and a half ago. We've been this tap room has been open for two years now, and we've been producing here for about 16 months. So we are uh, now just on one property. Very early on, you decided to work with a distributor. What led you to that decision of self-distributing? It was a tough one, but I was lucky enough to run into one of the managers of Beachwood, our distributor. They're based out in New Berlin, Wisconsin. They're the largest craft distributor in the state. Yeah, we just hit it off. This was before we'd even produced a batch of beer. You know, just how their thought and philosophy on craft beer, you know, where it can be going, you know, how adamant they were that it is going to be you know, dominant in our state, just their uh, respect for it. It just made sense. You know, again, it let us keep focusing on making the beer. They had, yeah, at that point, uh, like 100 sales reps. So we really got to be the guys making it. And then they went out there and championed it for us. So it's been fun watching them grow because they've expanded a lot in the last six years, just as we have. And we've kind of gotten to grow up in Wisconsin together in this crazy beer time. So what were the first beers on your car line then that you distributed? Our first, we had four. We had Water Slides, our IPA, The Bad Boy, a Black Wheat, <laughs> Rebel Kent, our Amber Ale, and Cirque de Wit, a Belgian Wheat. Currently, we still have two of those, the Water Slides and the Rebel Kent. We always like to ask all of the brewers that come on our program, if you could take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast, which of those, which of your beers would you use to kind of tell that story? So I guess, would you use any of that core lineup? Where, yeah. where would you kind of start? Um, water Slides would definitely be the number one. I, I think it tells the story of who we are the best because it came from a t-shirt of mine that friends gave me back when I was working concrete. It had a little guy at a crossroad. One way pointed to fame, fortune, money, and success. The other way pointed to water slides, and the guy didn't know which way to go. So my <laughs> friends knew that was my struggle. You know, concrete was safe, secure. You always needed concrete, but the brewery was calling my name. So that's why we had to name our first beer Water Slides. Fortunately, everyone I work with has a similar story. You know, no one grows up wanting to be a brewer. Most of us didn't know that was an option. <laughs> you know, so we have day traders and carpenters and landscapers and customer service techs. And, you know, people from all different walks of life. And we're all really motivated not to fail so we have, don't have to go back to our previous jobs. So even on those long days that aren't great, which there are, we appreciate what we get to do. And that's make beer. So it just makes them bearable and it makes it just a really enjoyable work day. So and you said water slides is your number one overall. Mm-hmm. So what, what percentage of your production is, is water slides then? I love it that it's only about 30%. So where a lot of breweries are flagship can be 50 to 80% yeah, of what they do. A great number. It is. Yeah, I think it just means that you know for our core lineup, we have a strong core overall. You know, this between this, Rebel Kent, our Pilsner, Fresh Coast, our Juicy Pale Ale. 
Cashmere Hammer or Nitro Stout. You know, they are all at one time or another vying for that first, second, third place. And I, I love it. I wouldn't want it any other way. So if we have, let's say, three more taps on this tap takeover, what uh, which others would you throw on there? I think today it would it would be our Juicy Pale Ale, Fresh Coast. Back in, yeah, that's a train outside. <laughs> yeah, it's right next to the right. It looks great in the summertime. Back in 20. I want to get my year right. 16. You know, just, we were out in, in the market doing a lot of events. All we had on tap were these, you know, nine plus percent beers. And I realized when I look back in the year, the average beer alcohol ABV of new releases was almost over 10%, which is terrible for when you're in Milwaukee doing an event. You have to drive home that <laughs> night because, you know, I always want a beer in my hand. Not while driving. And that makes me want to drink it. So, yeah, we, I realized, you know, something should change. And, and what's nice is the trends changed as well. You know, people really pulled away from drinking the high ABV stuff exclusively. And we were able to make a great 4.8%, you know, juicy pale ale where all the hops are at the end. It's floral. It's, you know, pungently tropical. So it, to me, it's, it was an exciting one, not just from the, the production side, because I, I love it. I think it's a great drinker. I love seeing the trends change towards that of, you know, you can have a few without getting into trouble, and it's it's just a part of what you're about. It doesn't have to be the necessarily focal point of what you're doing. Was there any, any discussion, any thought process about going hazy, going full-on New England style with that one? You know, we are we're going to be dabbling in that as well, and we actually have some, some fun stuff coming out this year with a few that are going to be in that, that true style. But for this beer, I didn't think we needed it. We're able to get a lot of that similar body and kind of creaminess that you associate with a, a hazy uh, without doing the haze. For a year-round six-pack, that was important to me. But, you know, it's really consistent. It has a great shelf life. You'll enjoy it even if you get, forget it in the basement for a few months. And I, I think you just can't do that necessarily with a hazy. You know, those should be drank right away. So it, didn't, it just didn't fit with that. You know, I tend to agree with you. It, it kind of takes me back to uh, some of the discussion we had with Anello at Central Waters and how he was all against, he was very, at that point, against the Hazy IPA. He's since started uh, brewing his own Hazy IPA, but that's a different story. <laughs> but he was just talking about how you can get those big flavors, the, the big flavors of the New England style, the juicy flavors, without going full-on haze. And I think you guys nailed it with this uh, with this beer. It's, oh, thanks. Uh, it's got all those amazing like citrus and, and you know tropical kind of flavors, but... It doesn't need to be hazy, and right. I, I think you you nailed it too. Uh, the mouthfeel is really good on it. It's got that big mouthfeel yes. without going full on mud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like and, and that is it's something that we worked a lot on because it is a it's a whole different. It really is a whole different way of brewing. You know, I first heard about this hazy IPA and pale ale trend. Yeah, I almost put it in the category of glitter beers. You know, kind of pretty gimmicky, <laughs> but I went out east and just fell in love with them because they were so well made and it really enhanced the flavor. And once you start looking at the chemistry of how to create something like that, it's very different than a traditional IPA or pale ale even. So yeah, it's it's a it's a style that's here because it's it is legit and it's very difficult to do properly. So yeah, we we love them. We love that mouthfeel. I'm trying to do it. You know, get that character out of a 4.8 percent beer. And there is that big challenge of freshness too, especially for a packaging. Uh, brewery such as yourself that's working through distribution you don't always necessarily know how your beer is being treated though you got a great partner right it still may take some time so do you start to really craft your recipes around making sure that your end customer is going to get uh, something that's going to be a quality beer oh certainly yeah I mean, we you know as far as the talk of freshness you know we knew when we came out with a beer called fresh coast we were setting ourselves up for pretty high expectations of that shelf life and we work hard with our distributor every week just you know, know our inventories, know when there are inventories, and our goal is to, from production to out of our door, at max ten days, ideally seven days, 
and we want it off their shelves in another seven to ten days so it's getting out anywhere in wisconsin in particular you know within 14 to 20 days and i, I think at that point you know, especially for a liquor store you know they have four six packs in to sell from a case they should be able to do that in a couple of weeks and that's just going to you know get that best product to the consumer right away we also work hard then on our packaging side to make sure that you know we have very low auction levels we have a brand new new to us filler it's a german made guy that has just only helped our shelf life from our old brewery where we had much smaller also more jury rigged it's uh, heard rigging together of things uh, that you found around the place we definitely made it work <laughs> yes but now with the new place you know we knew we were able to set ourselves up well for the right equipment and just you know for long-term shipping and yeah it's it's, it's been nice to be able to put this all together so we got two more taps two to more. take over all right and you can do something that is a little bit tougher to get too oh yeah we're gonna go we're gonna go big for the next one i would I'm going to throw on our cuvee. Uh, let's go 2017. A cuvee is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, cuvee is it's when you blend different beers together. And it's just an old winemaking tradition that the idea of, you know, not just using ingredients to blend and make a beer, but be able to take our beers that we've had. And for me, the, the goal is I want to take what we've done in the previous year and this have kind of be the first beer coming out the following year as a, an homage to everything that we did that previous year. And it's just a really fun process. You know, we go through all of our barrels. You know, we taste them, which is the worst part of the job. And uh, <laughs> and we just see what works and what direction we want to head. So 2017, I really wanted to show people what blending, that you can blend not only just beer, but barrels. So it was a combination of red wine and bourbon barrels in different formats. We had a Imperial Black Saison in there. We had some black wheat, some Imperial Stouts. I think that was it. It was four different base beers with two different types of bourbon barrels and red wine barrels. It was just really enjoyable watching people's expression as they were tasting this beer because it, you could get all of the flavors out of it. And that's part of what we really love doing is kind of pushing boundaries on what people think should be, you know, beer should be. And this was just one that was a great case for it. When we took it out to events and let people try it, I mean, it's, it, was, it made them think. So what was the difference between 2017 and, I guess, 2018? 2018. Uh, 2018 was all about using second-use barrels. So they had all been used in a previous batch of something. So you didn't have as much of that bourbon character coming through, but you got a lot more of the wood undertones. With that, then, we used several different beers as well of ours. We used Veneration, which is the Belgian quad with figs and molasses. I know a couple different Imperial Stouts. First one was you know, a lot sweeter because of red wine and the Imperial Saison. But then the second one was just much drier, and you got a lot of those undercurrent uh, flavor. Well, I want to go back to this space. What made this leap to this space? I mean, it's a lot bigger. It's very impressive. Was there any hesitation of going this big? Well, of course. I mean, you know, it definitely took the bank loans up just a small <laughs> amount. A wee bit. I know. Yeah, we, yeah, we have put together such an incredible group of people that we get to work with. You know, from from everything. You know, from the sales side to production to you know, now we have an just awesome taproom group. I just had nothing but faith that we'd be able to pull this off. You know, getting into the new brewery, we had we'd maxed our production at the old brewery for about two years in a row. So we had a lot of pent-up demand that I knew we could keep growing, that we'd be able to utilize the, the brewery side to some degree right off the bat. But then the tap room has really surprised us, surprised us on just how popular it's been. You know, we have 22 of our beers on tap, always rotating through different styles. What we've become is, you know, we're, our goal is to not compete with the bars in town that support us because they've just been our partners forever. So, you know, we close at 10, usually open at 4. We only have our beer, and we carry in any, any restaurants welcome to deliver to our place. We do a lot of out-of-town business. You know, people coming from Door County, Madison, Milwaukee. It's just been really nice to have people come to our place and then go to other bars in town and experience that. And a lot of corporate events, businesses host their parties here and things like that. So it's it's been a nice nice way for us to communicate directly with our customer base. You've also been spreading your pilot batches to the community as well. Yes. Right? 
So what have been the winners so far on the pilot system? Oh, man, I've had some fun on that system. So with our with our big brewery, we put in a new three-vessel, 30-barrel. One of the, the big toys we got to get was a two-barrel pilot system. So on that, we're usually brewing something once a week on there. And kind of overboard. Right now, we have a Pennsylvania Swanky on. It's an early 1800s beer that was just consumed in western Pennsylvania. It was a English mild dark with licorice flavor. So my gut says that you know, it was like 3% originally. Yeah, that's what they drank in the morning to kind of nurse the hangover <laughs> while they were working the fields. So we've been playing around with that a little bit. You know, we've done a lot of hoppy experiments on there, and that's been fun. Um, most of our hazy brews that are coming out this year have all started there. It really kind of lets us hone in, figure out our water profiles. The small system mirrors our larger system, so it's really easy to scale up then accurately and consistently. Yeah, I'd say the hoppy ones are the most fun at this point to brew on that guy. So what's been your growth of volume from the old place to this new one? Last year was about 50%. And this year we're trending up. Right now we're up about 55% over last year. Oh, that's that's big growth. So we've we've been very fortunate thus far. Is that, is that mostly due to the tap room? Oh, that's just yeah. that's production. production. That's oh, that's just that's uh, yeah. Wisconsin has been going really well for us. Other you know Illinois has as well. Yeah, the Chicago Tribune named Cashmere Hammer the beer of the month in December, and that just had a renewed interest in the entire city for us. So that. Has, done, has carried over for the last several months. and Yeah, I think with the new packaging and branding, uh, it's just resonating well with people. So what was the choice to, to rebrand? So about about a year ago, exactly, we put out new packaging for everything. You know, from logo all the way through label, six-packs. It all started two years ago when we had our grand opening here. And, you know, I was looking over kind of everything that we had done. You know, the place was packed. It was awesome. And realizing, like, it just, the brand that we were and who we were just wasn't, who we kind of matured into. So new yeah. place, new New, new place, work. new everything. And what really cinched it for me is I went to the Great Taste, as we always do, and I uh, was talking to uh, just a gentleman who came up to our booth and said, you know, Grant, I, I love your beer. If anyone ever has it, I always get it. Someone gives me one I know it's going to be great. When I'm at the store, I never think to buy a six-pack. Maybe you should do something about that. <laughs> wow. And it, it just resonated with me of, you know, we're, you know where our beer was to today, it, it has. It has grown. It has matured. I think it has improved. And um, with so many packages on the shelf, and they're, you know, the consumer will usually look at a six-pack for about two seconds when they're scanning. You know, you really need to tell your story in that two seconds. So we really went with a focus of what the beer was about. You know, our, our labels are all about what's either in the beer from an ingredient basis or a, a style basis. You know, if you look at the water pack six-pack, uh, you're going to see scratchings on there. And that's actually the formulas I used to make our the Water Slides IPA originally seven years ago, from a hot bitterness to uh, gravity to um, malt balance. So we really wanted to kind of just get back to what, why we do what we do. It really centered in our new our slogan, which made sense of you know brewing with heart and science. Yeah, we're we're passionate about the beer. So throwing it back all the way, where did the name Three Sheeps come from? <laughs> kind of mentioned, I you know came from concrete, which. Uh, I ran our family precast plant uh, during the recession, during a lot of times where it was just tough for all infrastructure and construction companies, where, you know, at that point, you know, your competitors hated you, your vendors hated you, your employees hated you, and your customers hated you, because no, no one was happy. And, you know, whoever shouted the most won the argument. And when I got out of that industry, I knew I wanted to be as far away from that type of person as I could. So I thought naming ourselves after a fluffy, grammatically incorrect animal was a really good way to not take life seriously. You know, so as we say, we're serious about the beer, but really nothing else. You know, life's too short, and you just got to enjoy it. So why three? 
Uh, it's an homage, homage to uh, Three Sheets to the Wind as well. Okay. So, you know, we we're trying to play off a couple of different things there. Yeah. Awesome. I, I'll tell you what, I really enjoy the, the new rebranding, but uh, I do sometimes miss seeing those uh, those Three Sheeps handles. You know, where there's literally three sheeps climbing over each other. And mm-hmm. Those were fun. Those yeah, were I know. They, you know, we've won and been recognized in more different awards for those. They're in a magazine flying around on American Airlines right now as part of, like, <laughs> nice. a... I got tap handle feature little piece. It, it's amazing the legs those things had. But it, you know, we really, if we wanted to go with the new brand, we had to go all the way. So coming up with this one, where now it's you know the three, the style on there, and you, you know you're drinking a three sheep's beer. It stands out. Yeah, that was, but that was definitely a tough one to part with. Those were special to all of us. I thought it was a little weird because you were only around for four years and to rebrand. As I was starting to hear about you guys, it was this look, you know, mm-hmm. and then the rebranding. But it's interesting to find out why the reasons why, you know. Yeah. So. We're going to take a little break right now, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about the beer and the reason why we're here is the sixth anniversary coming up. So we'll find out more about that, more about what you have going on in the rest of 2018. So we'll be right back. All right, hold up. We've got another little tasting for you guys. Uh, Andy, what are, what are we bringing back for this one? So this is the 2016 Midnight Bourbon Barrel Ale. Um, I know they don't make this beer anymore. Part of their Nimble Lips Noble Tongue series. Um, I think Grant actually forgot about this one, right? Yeah, he didn't know that it, <laughs> this actually existed somewhere in the world. So that's pretty cool. Still had it for a couple years, and it's it's holding up, like you said. It's so, really yeah, good. I mean, what, my first take on it is, it's yeah, it held up perfectly. I think it's still a very good beer. Oh, so Grant, this uh, this tasting's for you. I, and I agree. This uh, this is held up really well. Better than the uh, the 2016 Uber Joe. Jim, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so this is a little different than we've been tasting before, even though it's another Imperial Wheat. Uh, this was brewed with Belgian yeast. So we are getting a little bit of those uh, esters and phenols and a little banana and clove in there, but I think it has held up well over the uh, couple of years that it's been aging. I agree. I mean, the, the, really, the banana and clove flavoring uh, intermingles well with the, with the midnight black uh, wheat. Yeah, it, it's like a chocolate banana kind of thing going on here. It's really, really nice. The, the chocolate is held on very nice. Are you guys getting anything from the barrel? Because we had talked about uh, how the Uber Joe did not have a lot of barrel stuff going on. But what about this one? I don't think so. I mean, I, the reason I got this whole collection, actually, we're tasting like four of them, but there was another four that did not make the aging process because I, you know, I drank them. There's a lot of stuff going on, even with the name Imperial Black Weed Ale. It's so weird, so unique. I guess I'm getting a lot of sweetness. I don't get any of the barrel, honestly, personally. But I just think it's a sweet beer. Tastes really good, smooth. To me, the barrel's not not there anymore. Yeah, Alex likes to say the barrel is speaking to me. Uh, it's gone quiet on this. I mean, it is very, very quiet. I want to just say subtle. But what's interesting is that the barrel has gone quiet, but it's allowed some of the other flavors to uh, kind of take center stage. So some of those other flavors are speaking that wouldn't necessarily be speaking from a two-year-old barrel-aged beer. But uh, on this one, they kind of are. I agree that the Belgian kind of aspect of this is is coming out in full force. This is a this is a really nice uh, two-year-old beer. I guess talking about how we you know aged beers, I think this is we got this one perfect. I would not age it anymore. Well, I'm gonna say. Let's, uh, I can't wait for the paid time off that's coming up to end the episode. And Grant, maybe you should uh, pull up the recipe for this one again because uh, this, I think this is a winner in all of our books, yeah. even two years out. Yeah, I would love to see this one again. All right. So I think we should continue the interview. 
All right, and we are back. Grant, you want to take us to the next beer here? Sure. Uh, the next one we're trying is Cashmere Hammer, our nitro stout. You know, this beer entered our core lineup very early on. It was our fifth beer that we had ever had in a six-pack and became obsessed with nitrogen, like I think a lot of people. And uh, we're, I think a lot of breweries will take one of their regular stouts and put it on nitrogen. That nitrogen bubble, it's so fine, and it just creates such a creamy mouthfeel that I knew we could pack. You know, you can pack a lot more flavor in a nitro beer than you can a regular one. So by designing this around the nitrogen bubble as our first ingredient, we're able to pack all sorts of flavor in there. You know, there's more rye in there than a traditional beer, a lot of caramel and roasty notes that when this beer is flat, it's actually not great because it's so strong. But once you round it out with the, the nitrogen, it just becomes this creamy chocolate milkshake that has become one of our best sellers now. And we bottle as well at this point. So we were talking earlier about barrel aging. So yes. you want to tell us a little bit about your program here? It's becoming one of our favorites. Oh, thank you. Yes, it, you know, with our old space, we didn't have a whole lot of room. Yes, we were really just dabbling. We did a lot of different barrels, a lot of different styles, and really tried to find out what, what we thought we were good at and what we really enjoyed doing. With the new space, we now have about 15,000 square feet that we can dedicate to just barrels. So it gives us a lot of ability to age a lot of different things and also you know, put out four packs, which we've switched over five of our um, specialty beers to, so that you, know, you can have a 10% beer at 12 ounces, enjoy it on a Tuesday, and not regret it the next day. Where, for me, having a 22-ounce bomb or anything made me either want to wait to share with friends or not enjoy the next day because they just they get too much. So it just, uh, with the, chain, the trends of people drinking more of these on a regular basis, it just made sense for us to switch this way and, because now we can age so much more at one time. It allowed us to keep our price in line so that we can have a, a nicely priced, kind of high-quality barrel-aged beer. Is The Wolf one of those? It is. The Wolf that is, is one uh, of those. That was one of our favorites. And we oh, were, cool. Thank you. We were trying to get it all last year. Oh, tell, nice. tell us about that one and tell us when it's coming back. Yeah. So The Wolf, all of our four packs from last year were repeats except for The Wolf. So we weren't really sure what to expect. And man, that thanks to people like you, it just went quickly and hit hard. Uh, it is the most complicated malt bill of any of our beers. Where a typical stout for us will have six to eight different types of malt. The Wolf is made up of 14 different uh, ingredients. Just because you need to have so many different flavors for a beer that big, so one doesn't get too large. It took us a while to land on that recipe, and you know we've always been doing these adjunct stouts, you know the imperial stout, like the Uber Joes, and the paid time offs. Yeah, you know, with but we had never done just a traditional imperial stout in bourbon barrels. So we knew it had to be special, and thankfully people seem to be enjoying the one we did. And actually, I want to go back to what you said in the first part about branding and how something stood out. It was just that sweet spot with the packaging of that one, the name everything was perfect it just made you want to grab it oh thank you yeah, it was it was uh, just a really good and it tasted amazing so thanks perfect. thanks yeah we have, we have a really good artist that just he can take our style which i like the most yeah we take what we do inside the beer and kind of make it come to life on the packaging so please tell us and all your listeners that it'll be coming back june Awesome. Yes, right. we'll have it back in June. It's sitting in barrels now. Just went through a sampling of them all a few weeks ago. They're tasting great, and I'm very excited for this year's Wolf. Will you be increasing production? We are. Okay. Yes, there will be more. About uh, <laughs> yes, so about thirty percent more, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it'll at least it'll get it to everywhere, and we'll do a little better job with uh, the list to make sure that each account who wants it will be able to get some. So if you're hoarding any in your basement, you can you can drink it. You're exactly. You're feel free. <laughs> All right. So uh, we were talking about cellar aging, and uh, you've got some really fun cellar aging projects that, uh, you know, once this uh, airs, the sixth anniversary will have been and gone. But for our listeners, what uh, what will they have missed? <laughs> what are going to sure. be some of those fun beers? Yeah. So the sixth anniversary, you know, for us, it's really just a great day to celebrate with everyone who's helped us get 
to that year. And we wanted to have a few good beers when we sell, we did our first big anniversary party last year. So we took two of our popular ones, Pay Time Off, which is Imperial Stout with toasted coconut, cocoa nibs, and walnuts. And then Uber Joe, which is a Imperial Stout with coffee, cocoa nibs, and vanilla aged on Maplewood. And we took those two beers and put them in bourbon barrels. We had a great time last year and had far more people here than we were even hoping to expect. Uh, so this year we're planning on it and we're also going over the top with the beers that are going to be available when they're here. So we'll have the two anniversary beers. But on top of that, we're going to have, man, several others. We're doing a blueberry version of Uber Joe. We're doing an Imperial Belgian Golden Ale with raspberries and apricot. We have a peppered bourbon barreled Imperial Stout with ancho chilies for the peppering. Some double barrels, of course, because that's fun. And then we're pulling a lot of great vintage barrels. You know, some like 2016s, 2015s, we'll have side-by-sides, and just try to give people uh, an opportunity to, you know, see how things age next to each other, see how different flavors play, and um, yeah, just kind of the one-offs to really isolate a flavor. Are all of those beers going to be taproom only, or are the, some of those going to be available for distribution? Um, right now, they'll be taproom only. I can already tell you the Blueberry Uber Joe is becoming one of my favorites, so we'll, we'll be getting that out there and making a larger batch of that at some point. That's why I love our taproom now. When we used to do experimental beers, it was on my our, our pilot system, which was my glorified homebrew setup. So we were making five gallons at a crack. But with our pilot system now and, and the taproom here, we're able to get beers out to the you know to the people here, get some real feedback. Our bartenders are great about letting us know the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we can kind of keep tweaking recipes, and then when we do pull one out on a larger scale, we've really honed in and nailed it. So... That'll be great for the anniversary party. We, you know, we love feedback, good and especially bad. We have thick skins, so you won't hurt our feelings. But, uh, yeah, please let us know. We always want to know. So going back to your homebrewing days, which you just mentioned, and the beginning of Three Sheeps, uh, do you have any fun stories from back <laughs> in the day that you can uh, share with the listeners? Oh, probably my favorite is my first time playing with smoked malt. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> Usually the beginning of a good story. Yeah, put in the beer, you know, just used way too much. This thing was awful, just awful. But I... I wanted to at least try to drink a pint of it so I could see what else was in there besides the smoked malt. You know, how, how did I do on the yeast and everything else? So I finished the pint and, and just kissed my wife goodnight. And she just <laughs> pulled away and said it just smelled like and tasted like I just smoked a pack of cigarettes. I, it was, I haven't used smoked malt to this day. I'm still turned off from it. But that is probably the worst. The second best story was it my first bourbon-aged, bourbon-chipped Imperial Stout uh, experiment. For a New Year's Eve party, I brought them. We cracked open bomber bottles. Everyone had one for, for the new year. They were all gushers. Uh, oh. had, they had the chips, I, did, I didn't soak them properly. It was infected. So the hostess, uh, we were at a friend's house, White Kitchen. <laughs> she she, uh, of course she, she kind of freaked out and put her hand over the top of the bottle. When I said, don't take your hand off, she did. And all the, her beer bottle hit the ceiling. <laughs> it was everywhere. We spent the first 45 minutes of, you know, whatever, 2009 cleaning kitchen. Um, that was a good project. I will say, I threw them in the corner then. I was so frustrated with that beer. I found them four years later. They had soured, or soured beautifully. They, uh, they were delicious. So, yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Which kind of leads us to one of the things that we like to talk about is just cellar aging beers and what's in your cellar. What are your general thoughts on how long you should age a beer or if you can? Mm-hmm. And also, do you have anything in your basement right now? Well, yes. Always in the basement. Anything uh, good? Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, cellaring, for our beers, I always try to get to put them out when they're good to drink. You know, I, I think cellaring is something you should do if you are going to buy a few of them because it's always going to change the beer. And, you know, some things sell better than others. Coffee, 
fades. Vanilla tends to linger a little bit longer. You know, so like an Uber Joe is not going to be Uber Joe two years later. Not necessarily a bad thing. And I enjoy the, you know, the geekery of getting to see how it's going to change and what flavors linger and things like that. But I think you have to go into cellaring with the expectation that you're not going to drink the same beer. Sometimes I'll have a beer and realize I waited too long. And now I have four of them that are not going to be as good as they were if I had just drank, you know, had them a year before. In my cellar, man, what do I have? That's usually what happens. You know, uh, <laughs> I, brewery um, is always a good one. You know, I was fortunate enough to, after taking my coursework at Siebel, go out there and actually brew with them for about 10 days, where I just kind of first-hand experience under Tyler King, the brewmaster at that point, and he just really took me under and uh, kind of taught me everything. So our barrel program is based off of theirs, you know, QC side, things like that. It was an incredible experience. So besides their beer being incredible, they just always have a special place for me. So we usually have several of their beers kind of hanging out, waiting to drink with friends. Central Waters, yeah, we're very good buddies, and it's always fun to trade beers with those guys. What else? Allagash is another one of my favorites. You know, their, their sours are, I think, just some of the best uh, in the country. They're just so clean, and they've been doing it for so long. I guess those are the big ones right now, and and Founders. You know, I've always been a big fan of what they offer, so there's usually something, something that is lurking somewhere in the house. And now really Wisconsin has, not really for cellaring, but there's so many of these new guys who are putting out some just good hop beers that I've been really enjoying just finding some new things that I've never had before and knowing I can trust them that they're going to be great hoppy beers. Talked about that one beer going bad and being accidentally soured. Has there ever been any discussion about doing a sour barrel age program? Uh, yes, actually, for those who are coming to our, who are, who are, who, this is past tense now, who came to our anniversary party, you'll see that what had been our sour area in the tap room is no longer here. We had started to dabble on it. You know, never really committed all the efforts and needs for a great sour program that was going to be this coming year once we got everything else settled. But unfortunately, with how the uh, state codes are written, it was deemed that we could not do any production over here without putting up full walls and having isolation from the tap room. Unlike some other states where they, you know, there's a little more leeway, which I was trying to base our system off of, so it really just shut down the sour program right there. Uh, down the road, I would love to build another building on our property because we have plenty of room you know, behind the main production so we can use a lot of the same utilities but have that, that perfect separation so we don't risk infecting our brewery. But for now, I think the closest we're going to be getting is uh, we're still working with Britannomyces. I'm comfortable using that in a brewery because it's still a yeast that you can kill as long as your procedures are fine. And kettle sours. So working on a uh, kettle sour 100% Brett beer right now. That um, yeah, it'll it'll be a few months before that one's ready. But excited to get that out there and see what people think. Use lots of fruit. I love a good <laughs> like Berliner Weiss mm-hmm. with a, a ton of oh, fruit or just yeah, any of the kettle sours are coming out today. So you do have a lot of room to expand. Part of that is because of your location here in Sheboygan. You don't have a lot of other breweries, you know, clamoring for room. You definitely have a lot of room to expand. What uh, what was the thought process about doing your brewery here in Sheboygan? Well, the first one we kind of fell into, you know, with the old brew pub going out. And uh, my wife was working in town. We'd been in Sheboygan for six or eight years at that point and just enjoyed it. So we stayed. And when it came time to our expansion we we really took a look and said you know what made the most sense you know milwaukee they're still you know the guys like third space and good city weren't there yet so it it was still just kind of the guys who've been around for a while and we contemplated there and uh, some other markets but you know sheboygan was our home you know people here supported us so well uh, we loved it and this old this facility became available uh, this was a former Coca-Cola packaging operation. So where we had about 10,000 square feet for the tap room, this used to just be where the trucks would get loaded at night. So it was just a big open space for us to play with. And then the 30,000 square foot brewery, you know, the floors were already sloped and drained. 
it was the tallest real estate in Sheboygan County, so it allowed us to get fermenters in. And we have two loading docks, a huge space for a cooler, major garage door. So when we keep adding tanks now, it's just a matter of bringing them in and tilting them up. Nothing like our old building where we were taking out the third floor in the roof and bringing in a 20-ton crane just to <laughs> lift it in. You know, it, it just made a lot of sense from the facility to keep growing and, and let us stay in town. It's actually uh, quite a, a beautiful facility. I, I really love the big family-style uh, picnic tables that you have here. It gives thanks. it kind of like a rustic indoor feel. Yeah, uh, we, we really want it to be. So Sheboygan used to have this great armory where people would come and you know, all of our events were held there. You had basketball games, you had concerts. Bob Hope actually came to Sheboygan at one point and played there, performed at uh, That closed and there really wasn't a community rec center, so to say. So that's what we want it to become. You know, so we have community seating, you know, no TVs in the main area. You know, so the idea is you're gonna come here, hang out, have a conversation with friends, and just it's a place where you can be comfortable. And we would be remiss not to mention the giant chalkboard, which I also think speaks to the community of Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. So what is buy a beer for your bud? Uh, buy a beer for your bud is uh, something we stole from a few of the breweries that we saw that you can drop $5 to buy a beer for a friend. We'll put their name on the board, your name. When they come in next time, they can claim it. And one thing I really love is we recently added a good karma section where it's for professions. So whether it be an off-duty police officer, paramedic, Coast Guard, we have vets on there, nurses. People will just throw $5 to different trades. Ideally, when you know any of our service will come in, they shouldn't be paying for a beer because we're doing it for them. And it's just, it's really cool to see that those lists, they never drop to zero. You know, people are always supporting. And uh, yeah, I love it. You know, it's just something you get in this kind of small town feel that, you know, Sheboygan's not that small, but uh, yeah, it's just good people. So what other other events uh, do you hold? You know, most Friday nights we have live music here. We do, we're currently doing like, you know, bocce ball leagues and we'll be getting into bags leagues, that sort of thing. We do, we try to do a lot of fun and oddball events. You know, we did a popcorn and beer tearing that was unbelievably popular and crowded. Yeah, uh, I, I saw that on Facebook. Yeah. How, how did that turn out? It was great. We had to order more popcorn. Um, exceed <laughs> expectation. So yeah, you, you know, you see our flight boards. You know, they were filled up. One was filled up with beer. The other one was filled up with popcorn for the same sample classes. And, and people just enjoyed it. They could do it at their own pace. And you know, we did a last-minute Valentine making table station for people who forgot it was Valentine's Day. So we just had a bunch of construction paper and fancy scissors to cut out and crayons. And you know, we, we try to pretend we're kids. Besides that, we do a lot of uh, events with the community. You know, we uh, we help Sheboygan host their Onion Fest, which our sister city in Germany has an Onion Fest where every food has to have onions in it. So we sponsor that on this side, and I've never had a better onion and peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my life. <laughs> Things like that. Um, but yeah, this tap room, it, it's fun, because in the wintertime, we're slow. And you know, we, like a lot of breweries, you know, we just don't believe in layoffs. So it means we need to do something with our time. So thankfully, our guys are really talented, and this tap room is one that we built ourselves. You know, we built all the tables, poured the concrete bar, put up the walls, and every winter we just keep adding to it. So last year we added a little game room. These flight boards where we have our six, we have three ounce samplers in a piece of barrel wood that has holes cut into it. And one of my guys came in one morning saying, hey, check out what I made at home. This is really cool, right? I'm like, yeah, you know what you're doing for the next three weeks, don't you? <laughs> so that's how we created our flight boards. And yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. This is a tap room that we got to build. So we've talked about the return of the wolf coming in June 2018. Uh, what are some other future plans that we can look forward to? I think the timing works out well. Uh, we'll be doing debuting some 16-ounce cans, which will be the of the hazy style. We're doing a Imperial IPA with Idaho 7 hops. Uh, we're doing a hazy pale ale with Galaxy and Amarillo. And then we're doing an IPA with Citra and Blood Oranges. So those will be, you know, we're going to try to rotate those every couple months, make sure they stay fresh. We're doing a program with Bars Wisconsin where 
they will have their keg within three days of packaging so that you're going to have the freshest, hazy style you can possibly get. That's kind of a big focus for us this year, the logistics of distribution. Besides that, man, we're going to be doing so many different beers on our pilot system, yeah, trying and playing around with a lot of new ingredients and just kind of seeing what we can come up with. Probably getting some dark beers. You know, I've yet to really dabble much with a, you know, the Russian Imperial Stout, so I'm, I'm starting to get the itch to do that. We'll have some of those coming. And, and then really focusing on our four-packs. You know, Veneration will be out again in December. Rolta Barrel will be out in October. So we have a few things. Yeah. Any other uh, release parties? We'll be doing a release party for The Wolf, where we'll have a couple variants on tap with that as well. That is about it. You know, most of our, now that we ha- we're into the four packs where we're, you know, selling them as well as our, our customers, we really kind of shy away from having too many release parties because we want people to go out to the folks that support us to buy them, not necessarily just come here. So you won't see too much fanfare on, on those days, but you can always expect a new tap. We're doing First Firkin Fridays, which is a competition amongst all the, the brewers. First Friday of the month, someone puts out a Firkin. And we see who has the record for how long it's going to take to, ki- to kill it. John, last month, crushed it. Firkin was gone in six hours. So I don't know that that'll be beat for a while, <laughs> but uh, it was delicious. So it's a fresh coast with uh, orange and uh, apricot. Um, oh, and, oh no, pineapple and apricot. That's right. It was pretty divine. So now that we heard your plans going forward into the rest of the year and into early 2019, what do you see as some of the challenges for yourself and your company and craft brewing going forward? As far as craft brewing going forward, I think we're all still trying to figure out where this crazy industry is going. I think this year was kind of telling you with the number of breweries that opened, the amount of capacity that's opened up in the country, it's one of the first years where that wasn't greater than the volume increase on what people were consuming. So I think we're going to start seeing some pullbacks on what people are trying to offer. And you know, I don't want to say the bubble will be bursting because I think we have a while before we start seeing that, that downtrend. But you know, people are really focusing their efforts. And you know, we have guys like Green Flash and you know, stories like that that uh, are telling and kind of make you you want to pause and think about how you do want to keep growing to make sure you, know, you don't pull a Krispy Kreme. That's my favorite <laughs> case study of <laughs> growing so quickly and then you just can't support it and everything fails. So yeah, we're going to take our time. You know, we, we have some great markets that we're in. We're going to kind of get deeper into those markets. You know, we, we have so many things we want to do. And just making sure that we have the time to execute them well. We never want to put out a beer that we're not 100% proud of. And that usually means that we are doing so many test batches of that beer that... Well, if you need help it with takes that, a while. we can Oh, do. thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Quality yeah, control. It takes a while. So, you know, a lot, I think it's you know, our, our timetables are at this point often realize that they're, they're written in, in pencil. You know, a beer's ready when it's ready. A barrel's ready when it's ready. Things may get pushed back a little bit, but it just means that we want to make sure that it, it gets there right the first time. Let's get into some of the nerd portion of the show. Get into some of the brewing technicals. 14 ingredients yeah. uh, that went into the wolf. I'd love to hear more details about those. Sure. Yeah, I think I'm willing to do that. And not giving away state secrets. Well, exactly. Like, no, you know, there's part of If you want to give mash temps and proportions <laughs> and exactly. specific yeast variety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, I mean, that's, you know, I never have a problem talking about ingredients because I, yeah, it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, it's, it, when it comes to percentages, we usually won't because that's half the fun of brewing. You know, trying to figure out what needs to go together to, to make it that beer that you love. You know, a lot of it, well, one, we start with all breeze malt. We use it breeze malt for everything we do. You know, having them be 40 minutes from the brewery, it's a really easy decision considering they're the best specialty maltster in the country. So we use a couple different base malts from Brace. We use some... Pilsner malt, we use, you know, wheat, oat, a couple different types of wheat. Midnight wheat, which to me is kind of the, I'll call it secret ingredient when it comes to any good stout. You know, I, I like my dark roast, I like my chocolate malts, things like that. But midnight wheat, using it in the right percentage, can change a beer from being roasty to chocolatey to coffee tones. And it's just, it has no bitterness 
necessarily to it because it's you know wheat has no husk on it so you can roast it as dark as you want without those harsh undertones so it just it really lets you hone in on that that dark flavor that you want and then we use some uh, belgian candy sugars in there as well just to you know when when you get into a i think last year it clocked in at about 13 percent uh you need something so that you're not just like eating porridge when you come drinking the beer you know it, um and they also provide them their own kind of uh, unfermentables you know the caramel notes the the figgy characteristics so yes uh kitchen sink of of malt bills Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and you also can only fit so much grain in a mash tun, right? I mean, yeah, it's limitations. And that's, that's one limited. of the nice things. You know, when we were able to put in a new mash tun, we went with a new system from Sprinkman. Uh, they're, uh, I think, one of the best brewhouse manufacturers in the country, and they're based in outside of Milwaukee. But with our mash tun, we knew that we were doing a lot of high BV beers, so it's an oversized mash tun. So we can still, we're usually, if you have an older system, if you're going to brew a 10% beer. You're only making a you know two thirds volume of what your normal brew is, but we can do a full thirty barrels of the Wolf, hit our gravities with our mash tun that we have. So it's it's really nice not have to you know have either like our old system we'd have a triple or a quadruple brew day. We just have a double and we can knock out sixty barrels of the Wolf, go home at a normal time. Oh. It's lovely. So before we get to the the last beer of uh, taking over our taps, I'm just going to throw it back to the first one real quick. We had mentioned during the break that. Water slides used to be really cool. Water slides. Uh, you yes. kind of abbreviated the name. Is there any other of the of your beers that you've done that with? Rebel Kent used to be Rebel Kent the first. Uh, took out the the brevity side of it. My name is Joe. Well, he, yeah. Hello, my name is Joe. That unfortunately went away for right now. So when that comes back, we'll see what that becomes. Maybe just Hello Joe. Uh, otherwise, no. The rest the rest stayed the same. The rest were kind of within the parameters of being concise enough. Let's take it all the way back to that tap takeover. We left one spot. Oh. On, uh, on the tap takeover. That's right. And we have to get the beer nerds out of bed. So is there a special release or something that you would throw on if we were uh, taking over those taps? If I got to get really whatever I wanted. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, which, it's my, it's my new your, white... It's which my is new your favorite child? Yeah, well, it's <laughs> probably my new white whale, the one I'm kind of working on that I just haven't hit yet. So like I mentioned, I'm working on a Russian Imperial Stout, but that's not the full story. It's a Russian Imperial Stout with cinnamon, molasses cocoa nibs and ancho chilies just working on i realized like a, a regular russian imperial stout base just wasn't enough to hit that i have to make it almost more russiany harsh than a traditional so kind of re uh rejiggering that base beer to handle all of those flavors so yes i will have that nailed this will be out at the end of this year here nice. um, but yes hopefully we'll be ready for your tap takeover sounds like some yeah. bra- some breaking news yeah. on, the, on the podcast today something to look forward to coming from three sheeps so was one of the iterations of that, which you, which you guys tested at Brass Tap earlier this week without the ancho? So that was that was the first of our Barrel Society beers. Okay. Uh, so we started a Barrel Society program this year. Oh, good transition. Uh, <laughs> it's um, the art of knowing without knowing. Right? That, that was in our beer uh, news no, last you, week. <laughs> so with, our, with all of our new space, we've been able to kind of sock away a lot of random varieties of barrels. You know, so we'll, do, we'll fill two barrels of... You know, two tequila, two scotch barrels, you know, two of anything. We decided we wanted to start a barrel society program where it would allow us to kind of work with, you know, 200 people we limited to, where they had faith in us to, you know, help kind of prepay for the program. It really let us not worry about any kind of costs and just make great beer. So the first release was an Imperial Stout Asian bourbon barrels with cinnamon and maple syrup. And that was, we had the first release here at the taproom last weekend. We brought some to the Brass Tap Beer Fest last weekend at Discount Liquor. 
Crafts oh, and Drafts. Crafts and Drafts. Thank you very much. Um, and people enjoyed it. So that was a fun first one. And they're going to be all aboard. You know, this first one was Bourbon Barrel. Like I said, we'll have some tequila. We'll have some red wine. A few other things to, uh, to be announced. But it, it's going to be a fun program that we hope to expand upon because it's just it's another different format. They're 16.9 ounce bottles. Just a kind of a whole different avenue we get to go down and pursue as uh, brewers and to be creative with it's been a really fun time taking the podcast on the road this week and uh, coming up to sheboygan and talking with you grant and thank you again for having us we, we've had a blast <laughs> same here yeah thank you for coming i can always talk beer you know it's it's far too easy oh yeah absolutely we <laughs> could geek out anytime you want no. uh, but uh, it looks like we are out of beer for the moment so we're gonna have to uh, put a cap on this one for me for alex jesus i'm jim I'm Grant. And Andy. This is going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again to Grant for hosting us that wonderful evening, allowing us to partake in some of your beers. Up next is Paid Time Off. So we're going to start off with the 2016 version. Again, another Imperial Black Wheat, but this time with coconibs and coconut and walnuts. Then we'll go to 2018, again revised to the Imperial Stout. So let's start off with the 2016. Alex, what do you think? I, I think uh, we're dealing with the same sort of thing that we did with the uh, barrel-aged Uber Joe from 2016. Some of the flavors have fallen off. Um, so we're talking about, what, cocoa nibs and coconut and walnut. And they're there, but they're very, very slight. It's it's very, very subtle. A lot of those flavors had fallen off. But the base beer, the base uh, wheat, is still hanging on. And I, I think it's pretty good. I don't know. Jesus, what do you think? No, I like it. It's, it's pretty... It, it, you get the sweetness, but kind of everything has fallen off it goes back to this whole experiment thing it just this one was just aged too long so it was surprising because i thought i had high hopes for this one but i guess jim what do you think yeah i mean there's still a little bit of coconut also the big difference here is the original 2016 was not barrel aged at all so there's there's no barrel aging where today it is and again i guess this is where we're doing a service for the people where drink your adjunct stouts right away so andy what do we have next on that note, I'm just going to throw it back to uh, the 2018 version of Paid Time Off. Moving forward a couple years, bourbon barrel aged, and it's uh, tasting really fantastic. I mean, granted, like we said before, this is only two to four weeks out. It's really, really good. This it, beer is actually a closer correlation between the, the current one and the later one than uh, the Uber Joe was to its previous uh, version. Yeah, I think I, that's exactly right. I think the uh, the barrel-aged Uber Joe this year is so much better. It's light years better than the 2016. And Whereas, we're getting into, uh, like, it's just a totally different beer. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas the uh, the barrel-aged time off from 2018, it's much closer to the 2016. Um, not to say... I still think it's really good. Uh, the 2018, it's better than the 2016. It's a showcase for drinking now, like you, like we were just saying. Even with uh, if using natural flavors, it's it's going to fall off. Yeah, I guess I'm curious about, uh, Jim, what do you think about the whole barrel aging of this one? Because I, don't, I just, again, it's another beer that is barrel aged, but I just don't see the barrel being the star of this one. Yeah, again, it is very subtle and... You know, kudos to Grant on re-imaging all his beers that were the anniversary beers. They're kind of the star of what you do. It's a showcase. You know, you work a whole year. Now you're, you're time to show off. And he redid all these beers. And now to barrel age it again, though, to your point, Jesus, it is very subtle. He's not allowing the barrel to overpower all the adjuncts that he puts in. Yeah, and Jim, to, I think to your point, the rebranding that uh, Three Sheeps has done has been very successful. I think... We 
we we looked at the 2016 bottles and these are sexy bottles you know we were talking about the the jet black with the gold trim but the new one's also jet black with that turquoise it's i don't know it's a it's a pretty sexy bottle you gotta you gotta stay with the times i mean the the new envisioning of their marketing scheme on their bottles on their labels is sleek so it's it's a lot more sleek it's not blocky it's just slender in there it pretty bottle yeah and i love what grant said about the whole rebranding process i mean they are a young brewery they just had their sixth anniversary and they just wanted to be more modern get the whole you know get a a facelift do a new look and the bottles do that their whole recipes have been like just altered a bit they're doing good stuff down in Sheboygan. Absolutely. It's been fun to listen to Grant on this entire interview, uh, how he talks about his beer, the, the reverence that he has for the ingredients and the location and everything else. It's just been a really fun experience to uh, head up to Sheboygan for Three Sheeps. And I, I think that's going to do it for us for now, guys. Uh, that is that is all that I have in my glass. So it looked like we were out of beer. So uh, for me, for Alex. I'm Jim. Andy here. And Jesus. This has been a solid non-fail production. Oh.